Welcome everyone to As For Me and My House Season 2. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our church-wide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is our recap of our final chapter in our study, Chapter 9, In a Perfect World. That's right, our final chapter. Mm. This is it. This is the end. We are looking at the grand finale of the Bible story, but not only the Bible story, also of our story and of history. And the end is in some measure like the beginning. The end returns us to a perfect world. We remember that in the beginning, God created our world in perfect harmony. There was peace with God, peace with one another, and peace with the rest of creation. And doesn't that sound extra appealing these days? To live in a world of total bliss. No disease, no death, no discord. Don't we each long for that? Well, we do, and we long for it because that's how it was. And as we'll see in this study, that's how it will be again. But obviously, for the world to become perfect again, some things would have to change. Some things would have to go, wouldn't they? Uh, Yes, and someone would have to be able to make these perfect Mm. changes. And that brings us today to the book of Revelation, uh, the Bible's last book. Revelation is a vision from God that was given to the Apostle John that he was told to write down in a letter and pass on to the churches of his day. It's a fascinating, sometimes odd, but exhilarating letter, and one that Christians don't always agree on every detail. No, they don't. But Revelation describes from heaven's uh, perspective what is going on in our world right now. Uh, You could say that it is heaven's commentary on what's going on here below. Hmm. Most of it is. But then we get to Revelation chapter 20, and then the focus uh, shifts to what the world will be like in the future. And not just the future in general, but what the world will be like when its creator returns. This is the final coming act in God's plan. And so let's start in Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Okay, so at the center of this scene is a throne. Yes, a great throne. This is the idea of status, power, and authority. So yes, a great throne, but also a white throne, it says. And the white symbolizes purity and holiness. And the fact that it's a throne represents kingly sovereignty. Okay, so this one on this throne, uh, he sounds like the perfect candidate to bring and make perfect change. Mm. A king with total power and authority, as well as total purity. He is absolutely strong and absolutely good. So that's who we want, right? That's who we need to make a perfect world. And it says, you know, him who sat on it. Well, who is the one who sat on it? The Bible tells us that the judge is Jesus. We can reference John 5, to 27 to see that. So it's Jesus, or more maybe likely even the fullness of the triune God. It says the earth and the heaven fled away. Earth and heaven flee from this throne, but there was found no place for them. There is absolutely no hiding from this throne. No one can escape the judgment that it represents. Now, many, even most Bible scholars believe that, the, that, that Christians will never appear before this great white throne. And it isn't because we can hide from it. Uh, no one can hide from it. The idea is that we are spared from this awesome throne of judgment because our sins are already judged in Jesus at the cross. We don't escape God's judgment. We've had it already satisfied in Jesus. However, Christians will have to stand before another throne, the judgment seat of Christ, 
Second Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. But back to this great white throne. As we skip ahead now slightly to chapter 21, verse 5 in Revelation. And this is what we hear coming from this throne. It says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, for the believer in Christ, these are probably maybe the most incredible words to our ears. To hear God say, Behold, I am making all things new. But as we said before, for God to make all things new, to make this world perfect, some things will have to go. Let's have a look at what will be going. Going back to 20 verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Death is the result of sin, and that is gone. Hades is the result of death, and it is gone. Praise the Lord. But then it goes on to say, this is the second death, the lake of fire. The lake of fire is what we call hell. And the second death means that there is a deeper death for the unbeliever on this day in the future. Verse 15 speaks of this saying, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, well, this sounds like bad news. Some may say unfair, but let's hold on to that thought. Let's go to Revelation 21, verse 8. Who are these people with their names not in the book of life? Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Well, the trouble with these verses is that this is all types of people. It's everyone. Uh, Even maybe you and I. I mean, you or I have probably not ever been a sorcerer. That's in that list there. But who has not been an idolater? Who has not loved other things more than God? And who has not been a liar at some point or many times in their life? I mean, this is all of us, isn't it? It is all of us before Christ, but it should not be what defines us after we believe. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, we hear this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you hear this? And you were some of this, and such were some of you, but you repented, you turned to Christ, you were washed clean. Right. In this passage in Revelation, it's speaking then of those who have rejected Jesus and who choose to remain in their way of unbelief and sin. Hmm. And it's who any of us are and who we remain to be apart from saving faith in Christ. Mm. So these people in this passage of Revelation uh, 21.8, these are the ones who are prohibited from entering the new creation. And the real question is, not is this unfair, but why should God allow any of Mm. us to enter into his new creation? And the answer is only because of grace and mercy. We deserve his condemnation. This is who all of us were. Mm. But by his grace... Through faith in Christ, we can receive his pardon and we can receive his rich welcome into his recreated perfect world. In fact, 
We are the very first part of his new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in the new creation, there won't be people who love sin instead of God. There won't be people who reject the sacrifice of Christ for them. Right. And what else will be evicted uh, and never come into this new creation is the devil himself mm. and all of, his, all, of his for, all of his forces of evil. Mm. Revelation 20.10 says this, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So no people who reject Christ, no devil, and also now we see no tears. Revelation 21, 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is amazing. No tears, no mourning, no crying, no pain, because God has wiped them all away. All the heartache we carry now, these will become former things that will have passed away because of the God who is coming, who sits on the throne. And so this is just incredible, isn't it, Lauren? Mm. Uh, This is all incredible in and of itself, but it's also incredible because it's the ultimate fulfillment Mm. of every promise of God that we have been tracing in this entire study. Mm -hmm. Remember, the whole focus of of this study has uh, has been that God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. Let's just read this section from Revelation 21, verses 2 to 5, and then see how all this connects to all the promises we have seen so far. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I'll just say I love this passage. It is perhaps one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. In this one place, we see the culmination of all God's promises. So let's look at how. Well, first we see God's promised fulfilled that the creation will be very good. Hmm. Here we see God's ultimate blessing. We see the end of the curse. We see the new Jerusalem is referred to as a bride and a city. So it's a people and a place. God's redeemed people will be together in God's special place with God's special blessing, his very presence with them. I mean, this is even better than Eden Mm -hmm. in the book of Genesis. Whereas God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day back then, He will live among his people in this beautiful city and he will heal all of our hurts and remove from our minds and uh, sadness and sickness and pain and death. Creation was pronounced very good in the beginning, but this here will be even better. This will be beyond very good, better than our minds can even comprehend. And so God's promise that the world will be very good is kept. The earth will be remade. I think we often forget about this and talk about dying and going to heaven, which is a great reality for our spirits to go directly into the presence of our Lord. But this is simply not the end of the story. When Christ comes back, our spirits and bodies will reunite and our bodies will be resurrected and made new 
free from disease and pain and sickness, and we will live on a new earth that is made perfect. This is a great hope. And of course, a major part of this hope is that all evil will be gone. Mm -hmm. The snake will have been crushed and thrown into the lake of fire. Right. Another promise ultimately fulfilled. God's promise in Genesis 3 verse 15 has been kept. The enemy is destroyed. And as we think about God's special people and God's special place, it also sounds a lot like God's promise to Abraham also Mm -hmm. coming to fruition. God has reversed the curse and through Abraham's seed, he has redeemed people from every nation and tribe and tongue to live with him in his new creation. This is the ultimate promised land. Canaan was just a picture, and this is the reality. And Revelation 21.5 continues and says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So he who sits on the throne, doesn't this sound a lot like the eternal ruler who will reign in the line of David? It sure does. The promise made to David in 2 Samuel 7 has been kept. And so also has been kept the promise to the prophets for that future uh, beyond judgment. Instead of us facing judgment, we get to look forward to a new heavens and a new earth, a place of peace, prosperity, and plenty. The penalty of our sins has been paid. Judgment for our sins has fallen upon Christ. And because of this, we have a future that is glorious. It's a place of unimaginable blessing. Behold, I am making all things new. What a great hope. What a great sure hope. Notice in 21 verse 5, also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Yes, so it's a great hope and it's a true and a sure hope. But we need to pause and we need to ask again, who is this hope for? Here in Revelation 21 verses 6 and 7, it says, to the thirsty I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. So this great and sure hope, this is for the thirsty and for the one who conquers. So who is this? This is a description of real Christians. Uh, A true believer is thirsty for Jesus and a true believer presses on in following Jesus. So this is evidence of genuine faith in Christ, being thirsty and one who conquers. So it's evidence, but it's also a calling. This is a calling for the Christian to continually come to the one who satisfies our thirst and to keep pressing on uh, through the war zone that we live in because we're not there yet. Yeah, it's telling us we must not rest until we get to our heavenly rest. We are called here to overcome. We must press on. We must fight the good fight and finish the race and keep the faith. This is what the book of Revelation is encouraging the church to do, to remain steadfast, to hold on to the faith, to persevere persevere till the end with our eyes on this great and glorious reality. No matter how hard things get on earth, remember, there is a wonderful future ahead. Hmm. So what God has done for us through the Apostle John in this letter of Revelation is he's really given us, the church and the church, he's given us a great vision of what is to come, of the hope, of the security, of the blessing that is to come in the future for every believer and follower of Christ. And we need to keep our eyes on this, don't we? I mean, don't we need to remind ourselves and one another of what is coming in our future? Absolutely. Our eyes can get on our busyness, on our pain, or even our success. 
They can get on any number of things that can distract or discourage us from the hope we have coming, the perfect home and relationship we will enjoy with our God. Yes, and that's exactly why we were given this book of Revelation. Uh, This is exactly why the Bible ends the way that it does. The Lord knew that we will get discouraged or distracted by all kinds of things while we wait for the consummation of all things, while we wait for his return. And so someone might ask, if this is true, this great hope, why has it not happened yet? Why are we still waiting? Why has the Lord not yet fulfilled his promise to return? I mean, if the Lord can end all the pain and evil and craziness of this world, why hasn't he done it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think of uh, at least two answers that come from 2 Peter 3.9. First is that we don't know everything. Our understanding and our wisdom is limited. You know, as finite beings, our sense of timing is limited. So 2 Peter 3.9 begins like this. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. So the Lord is not slow in his timing. So if anything, we are the slow ones. We're slow to understand. And we need to recognize that the Lord's timing is for his sovereign and perfect purposes. But then there's the second half of 2 Peter 3.9. And here Peter tells us one of these purposes. He says, Instead, He, the Lord, he is patient with you, Hmm. not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So a reason that the Lord has not returned yet is because he is patient with us. It's his grace, his grace to wait for more and more people to repent Hmm. and come under his rule Mm -hmm. so that for them, his return is good news, not bad news. Hmm. Okay, so if this is all true, and it is, then what should followers of Jesus do until he returns? What should we do while we wait? Also an excellent question. Uh, Number one, um, we need to do what we've done all along in this study. We need to constantly read and remember the promises that God has made in the times of the Old Testament and how he has fulfilled them in Christ in the times of the New Testament. Mm. Seeing these promises fulfilled, it can give us confidence that this last promise of Christ's return will be fulfilled. So we should, we should uh, continue to study and meditate on the Bible story. Right. And two, we should continue to seek to live holy lives. Second Peter 3 verse 11 says this, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Second Peter 3.14 says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. In other words, continue to be thirsty for the Lord and to overcome, as we already looked at in Revelation 21, verses 6 and 7. Because we will all stand before the Lord, we want to be found as ready as can be. So we want to be busy growing in holiness, making disciples, and sharing the message of Jesus. Well, While we wait, I mean, let's face it, we live in crazy times. Uh, We are living in anxious times, Mm. and we often wonder, where is it all heading? Mm. Yet amazingly, we can know, and we do know where it's all heading. Mm. God's word uh, tells us it's all heading toward God's people, being in God's perfect world, and under his perfect rule. Amen. What an ending. What a future for those in Christ. Well, we trust that you have enjoyed this study and that you've grown from the study and that the Lord has used it in your life. 
Uh, perhaps he has used it in your life um, to begin your life of faith in Christ by putting your trust in him as, as your savior for the forgiveness of your sins and your trust in him as your Lord to lead you today and all the way to being with him in his perfect world. Well, that is a prayer of ours in this study. Or perhaps the Lord has used this study for you if you're already a Christian to uh, just strengthen you and to renew your hope in him as the God who has made and keeps and will keep every one of his promises. Mm. However the Lord has used this study in your life, we thank you for joining us and being a part of it. As this now concludes our eight-month study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. To conclude it in full, let's do so with these final words from the book of Revelation, the last words of the Bible story. It says this, He who testifies to these things, that's Christ Jesus, says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.